to another episode of I'm Horrified. I'm Horrified. I just realized I said good afternoon, which you should never do, I guess, on a piece of content that doesn't subscribe to Linear Time. I would say let's insist. Everyone who (laughs) listens to this podcast, please listen to it between the hours of 12 p.m. and 4.30 p.m. Yeah, if it's too dark outside, turn it off. And if it's too light outside, turn it off then too. No, we want you to listen. Listen whenever you want. Listen whenever you want to. Hi, everyone. Hi. To you, it seems like it's just been a week, but to us, it's been an age because yeah. we we haven't recorded in the better part of a month mm-hmm. because I was abroad. She was gallivanting around Europe. I was doing so. So I've missed I've missed you, Sam. I've missed you so much, and I've missed the the broader you, whoever's listening out there. I've missed yeah. this space. And an update for just everyone is that um, Allie and I aren't roommates anymore. Don't tell them. I moved out. Their hearts can't take it. My, My heart, heart can't, can't take, take it. it. Ooh, bitch. bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, but like you're still here and we're still eating takeout in our living room. So it's pretty much the same. Yeah, I'd say I'm gone, but not forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I would I would agree. I would agree. But um, I just got a bunch of new pieces of furniture for the podcasting studio. Y'all, we are moving up in the world. That we are going to put in my apartment in my spare bedroom. Woo! So we'll give you maybe a little tour of that. That would be so fun. Maybe it'll be like when we get to 70,000 downloads. Yeah. We'll do, we'll do a studio tour. Yeah. That'll be fun. I got an email um, a couple weeks ago from, like, a random podcasting app, because sometimes you get emails from those when you're a podcaster, and they it told me, it was called, like, Chartable or something, and it told me we charted in Iceland. Fuck! So, to all of our Icelandic listeners, hi. How do you say hi in Icelandic? I don't know, but I'm gonna assume most of them speak English because they listen to this podcast. I, yeah, I would assume <laughs> that, but... Oh, that's confusing. I just typed hi into the Icelandic translator on Google, and it looks like the translation is hi, hi. <laughs> Icelandic listeners, you please tell me how offensive that was. Yeah. How <laughs> that's correct what is Google it, That's what it looks like. I, I'd love some feedback. To me, it looks like hey, hey, which could also be wrong. <laughs> which is a, the, the small chicken from Moana, right? It is the small chicken I'm from Moana. sorry to bring it back to Disney. <laughs> By the way, I went to Disneyland Paris. She sure did. I did. Um, it was it was magical. Was it magical? It was really it was incredible. Cool. It was very impressive. Everyone was like, you're really going to be disappointed with Disneyland Paris if you've been to the real Disneyland. And I wasn't. I thought it was fantastic. Cool. Um. And I was in Paris on the 108 degree day, so that was pretty horrifying. Yeah, that is pretty um, horrifying. That was sticky. <laughs> it's sticky here. Yeah. It's sticky right now. Yeah. It's summer. <sighs> I hate it. But I hate every other season. There you go. When, what will please you? Nothing. I mean, nothing. Being indoors. Yeah. <laughs> Being in a controlled climate at all times. I prefer that as well. I like to be in air conditioning, but under a blanket. Yes, I feel the same way. Which seems, like, so wrong. Like, so unethical. No. From an environmental standpoint. I prefer, I like for the room I'm in to be cold so I can be wearing more blankets. Agreed. Which is not, again, right for the environment. But we do only what we can. When have we ever been moral, even? A small amount. Never. Um, shall we trot on to what we're talking about today? Yeah, I think we might as well. What are you going to talk about, Sam? Today, I'm going to talk about genealogy DNA tests. I'm so excited about this. I have a lot of feelings to talk about. I am so excited for you to talk. So many times there's something... 
that I see and I'm like, I'm interested in that, but that's too complicated for me to go do the work myself to figure out what's wrong with it. That's why I'm here. And then you always do that for me. (laughs) Like, every single time that comes out, like, the streaming services thing is, like, sums up, but I don't have the energy to find (laughs) out what... And you did that for me, so I'm so excited. What are you talking about, Allie? I, myself, am going to be talking about um, foreign accent syndrome. I am so ready to he- finally understand this. Yeah. I should have come on with, like, a slight... I was in Ireland for most of the time, like, a slight Irish accent. I would have loved this. I talk about Ireland a little bit in this there you go. next segment. I'll adopt, like, a, a slight brogue <laughs> as a sort of indicator for what I'm about to discuss. Just, like, the most tasteful brogue. So tasteful. Yes. Just a light Saoirse Ronan. Ooh, I love that. A light. Oh, she's a master of accents. Did we all see... We have to get to the episode. Did we all see the Little <laughs> Women trailer? Uh, I'm looking forward to it because I think hashtag justice for Amy. I think uh, it's finally happening. Oh my god. I loved it. It looked <laughs> so good. I was both crying and turned on when like Sir Ronan and Timothy Chalamet were like falling down a mountain together. I know. <laughs> oh, I can't. Oh, I'm getting And she's all like, jittery. it wouldn't work. And he's like, yes, it would. I've and loved like, you my whole life. And I'm like, fuck. Fuck me up. Fuck me up. So that's our opinion on this. So I guess (laughs) that's our hot take on the Little Women trailer. Um, No, but tell me about your thing. About this? Yeah. (laughs) I meant get my mind off of that About the segment? Uh, About the the content, please. Thank you for it. Let me give you the content. So, uh, folks, a fun fact about me that maybe the listeners don't know, I know Allie knows. I'm sure I know it. Is that I love (laughs) Ancestry.com. She really does. I am obsessed with it. I find it so fun. I have traced my family back about 300 years. I have traced my boyfriend's family back about 400 years. Allie, I've done your family tree. Mm -hmm. I've done Becky's boyfriend's family tree. I did our old roommate Rosie's family tree. I love it. She just loves doing it. I'll do anyone's family tree. Right in. <laughs> She'll do you or your family tree. If you tell me the name of your grandparents, yeah. A stranger. Um, so if you're on Ancestry.com as much as I am, you will see a lot of ads for their service called Ancestry DNA. And to use Ancestry DNA, what happens is you spit in a tube, you send off your spit, Ancestry does science, and then they send you back a ton of information about where your family is from, distant cousins who have also spit in a tube, and even like physical traits that you might have that are buried in your DNA. Um, and Ancestry is certainly not the only one doing this. There are other popular services like 23andMe or MyHeritage, which also offer DNA tests to explore your genealogy. 23andMe is the one that I've heard the most about. Yeah, that's another really, I'd say that one and the Ancestry one are like the big, the most popular, the big, big boys. Um, so when I first heard about this service, I was obviously like, sign me the fuck up. I love history. And, um, I love me, so finding out about my history just sounds lit as hell. Uh, but then my inner old man yelling at Cloud manifested, and I was like, is it a good thing that we can do these DNA tests? Are there consequences I'm not thinking of because I just want to find out what specific brand of white I am? (laughs) The very kind. (laughs) I just want to get so specific. So, Allie, today we investigate, and at the end of this segment, I will decide whether or not to take advantage of Ancestry DNA's summer sale and finally spit in a tube. Thank goodness. <laughs> we'll see. We're, We're going to decide. We're a choice together. Today we to make a choice. your life. So, I want to start with the possible pros of investigating my DNA. So, number one, family mysteries solved. So, like, in my family, we only have one good mystery, which is who is my grandfather's father? We know who his mom is, but he didn't even know who his dad was, and it's, like, this big family mystery. 
So in my imagination, I could take a DNA test, and although it obviously would not give me the name of the guy, it could maybe tell me something about him. Like, I'm half Croatian, which is very niche, I know, and then a quarter Scottish, but if that last quarter was, like, French or something, I'd be like, whoa. He was French. I know a little bit more about my grandfather's dad now. How cool. How cool. That'd be fun. Uh, Number two, new family members found. So another cool thing about these services is it connects you with other people who have used the DNA service and are your distant cousins, usually like second cousins, fifth cousins, like people you would never meet, but who share a common ancestor with you. Um, And you can even upload your DNA results to another website called GEDmatch and then compare your DNA with people who used other services. So like if I used Ancestry DNA, but then I uploaded to GEDmatch, I could talk to people who used 23andMe. Whoa. We could all be cousins. So this would be very cool, I think. And also there are rumors that one of my other grandfathers maybe had a second family. So what if I could find them? That'd be cool. That'd be crazy. Uh, Number three, health problems avoided. So looking at DNA can reveal health issues that you're predisposed to. And then you can take like active steps against them, which would be great. Um, A lot of people do DNA testing because they're looking for the BRCA gene, the BRCA gene, which um, really heightens your odds for breast cancer. So if you have a history of breast cancer in your family, it's a good idea to get these DNA tests. And then you can find that out and you can be armed with that knowledge. Yeah. Which is a very positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) Cough. One coffee boy <laughs> so <laughs> not everything has to be a boy i know <laughs> i wish i could stop um so these are all great things to me who is a person who was raised with their birth family and hearing a lot of family stories like imagine how interesting these things would be to someone who was adopted or grew up disconnected from their extended family or their history mm. it would be like that much more intriguing to be able to find all these answers i can i can only imagine how tantalizing that would be yeah and like for the health reasons alone someone might want these services let alone like finding living family members right so that's the whole segment this week on i'm thrilled thank you so much bye oh good um, oh it's a surprise <laughs> nice one i'm just kidding no. obviously there are some cons what's the problem they're significant no no <laughs> okay So con number one is that the ancestry part of this system might not work exactly how we want it to. So these services claim that with your DNA, they can narrow your genealogy down to like regions of specific countries. So they wouldn't just say you're Irish, they would say you're from County Cork. That is very cool, but it might not really work. My family's from County Cork. Are they? They actually are. Yeah, they probably are. (laughs) Um, So the way that these websites do this, these services is that they look for what basically amounts to patterns in your DNA, and then they find the places where those patterns are most common. So, like, maybe you have a pattern in your DNA that 70% of the people in County Cork have, and 30% of the people in Galway have. You'll then get the result that says you're from County Cork, but, like, maybe your ancestors were one of that 30% from Galway. They can't really know. People move around. Yeah, they're just doing it on, like, averages. Right. And then the other flaw in this system is that they are matching your DNA to the residents of County Cork today, not the County Cork that your ancestors actually lived in. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, (laughs) but they can't go back, unfortunately. Yeah, but, like, how can they say that that has any merit, is my point. exactly. So it's, like, probably the genetic makeup of County Cork is not 100% different than it was 200, 300 years ago, but it is at least somewhat different. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the matches are not as perfect as we're hoping they are. 
So, you know, the geomatching of your DNA does not work exactly how we want it to. That's a bummer. But as far as bigger regions go, it's still fairly accurate. If you're saying, if it's saying you're Irish, you're almost definitely Irish. They just can't necessarily narrow it down as much as they're saying they can. But maybe that's fine. I could look past that. Yeah, maybe that's what you want to know. I just want to know kind of what area of the world I'm from. Yeah. Um, But here's another thing to think about, and it was very eloquently put by Sarah Zhang in her Atlantic article. Um, It's that your DNA is not your culture. So a lot of people, white people, go on these sites because they want to find something new and exciting in their DNA. And in her article, Sarah Zhang recalls a genetic genealogy meeting she attended where, quote, an audience member asked how to convince people to upload their DNA results to more genealogy sites. Tell them they'll find their Native American and they'll all go, another person in the audience joked. The whole room laughed in recognition. Native American ancestry is an enduring fascination among Americans. And genetic ancestry tests tap into the idea that something interesting, something unknown, might be buried in the past. Yeah, which leads to words like exotic, foreign, (laughs) spicy. Like, that's what they're really trying to say. Exactly. But just because you have Native American ancestry somewhere in your family tree does not necessarily mean that you have a claim to that identity. If you weren't raised with those traditions and that community, if you don't even know the name of your ancestor who came from that community, does it really matter that you're technically 116th Native American? No. I would argue no. No, it doesn't. Like Sarah Zhang says, your DNA is not your culture. Yeah. But okay, so like as long as we are cognizant of not appropriating marginalized cultures, we're in the clear, right? Which we never are. Which we never have been <laughs> in the history of being alive. Um, we can look past all of that. But I can't really look past the whole the government has access to your DNA thing. How do they get it? I know. So remember a few minutes ago when I mentioned GEDmatch, which is the service that lets you upload your DNA and compare it to others' cross-services? So I can upload my Ancestry.com DNA, you can upload your 23andMe DNA, and we can look at them together on GetMatch. So the government just have like a burner disk under it? So that's the thing. Um, So this is a really, really popular service. They have just like hundreds of thousands of users. But police officers and these very cool people called genetic genealogists realized that using GEDmatch could actually solve cold cases. What? All you had to do was upload the DNA of, say, a found person whose identity was unknown or a DNA sample connected to a rape or a murder. And GEDmatch could then connect to the people in the family tree of that person. So in 2018, the journal Science published a study indicating 60% of Americans of European descent could be identified through GEDmatch or one of these other large commercially available databases. Yeah. And by 2020, that figure most likely will have increased to 90%. Whoa. So if you upload the DNA of your Jane Doe, it's very likely that you're going to get some kind of match. And then from there, all you have to do is old-fashioned genealogy. You trace the family tree from the match to the common ancestor with your missing person, and then back down and you find the victim or the perpetrator of a crime. This is literally how they found the Golden State Killer. They put his DNA into GEDmatch. They found, like, his third or fourth cousin. They traced back up to their common ancestor and then back down the tree until they found the actual guy. I would like to go on record and say I am thrilled they found the Golden State Killer. Yeah, that sounds awesome. But this was all done without the knowledge of people who were using GEDmatch. It was buried in the terms of service, basically saying that, like, 
they can't guarantee the police won't use this genetic data. Yeah, well, because, like, if I can use it, the police can certainly use it. Exactly. And so the police have kept using this service, and they've solved more than 50 criminal cases, nearly all of which have been homicide or rapes. Good. That is great. Yeah. But, like, is it always going to be great? Sure. Right now, the police are limited to using this technology to solve violent crimes, but what if in the future they aren't, and they're using it to solve petty theft? Or small drug charges. Or the things they put people of color in jail for for no reason. Exactly. And also, GEDmatch has updated their terms of service so that you have to opt in for your DNA to be available to the police. But if you opt out and your cousin opts in, your DNA information is still available to the police. Right. We are all connected. And we're all somebody we've never met's third cousin. And making any of our genetic data available means to a degree... All of our genetic data is available. Mm, Spooky. And it's not just the police taking advantage of this. Um, GlaxoSmithKline, who is a pharmaceutical company, bought a $300 million stake in 23andMe earlier this year, contingent on access to their company's data. So um, 23andMe says that all of the data will be anonymized, but we don't really know how it's going to be anonymized. 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 Thank you. We don't really know how it's going to be anonymized. And even 23andMe notes in its privacy policy that, quote, there is a very small chance that someone with access to the research data or results could expose personal information about you. So now when I think about doing a DNA test, I think about a future where DNA is a big determiner of a lot of things. I think about Gattaca. What if they don't give certain jobs to people with a predisposition for alcoholism in their genetics? I have that. What if one of my descendants is doing activist work and it's my DNA that outs them to some kind of horrible totalitarian regime? I don't know. On the other hand, what if there's a Jane Doe somewhere who's my fourth cousin? If I do a DNA test, can she finally be identified? Can I solve my personal family mysteries? I don't know, you guys. (laughs) You guys know I always get really nervous when technology moves faster than ethics. Like, if you look at my science-y episodes, that's always the thing that freaks me out. That's a through line, yeah. And so I'm just kind of thinking that that's what's happening here. Uh, And I'd love to hear from some of you folks. Like, have you ever spit in a tube? How did you feel about (laughs) it? For any reason. Just for fun. Does it make you as anxious as it makes me? Like, I don't know. I just think... Again, like, we should have thought a lot of this through before we started doing it. Yeah, made a choice to put a genetic web out for everyone to see. But that's the thing. Like, like I said, that number, like, 60% of Americans with European descent, of European descent can currently be identified. Like, 60% of Americans have not put their DNA into it. It's just that we're all connected. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think about that. Like, it's like, that's what I assumed was the case, and I was like, that can't possibly be true that 60% of Americans are doing 23 in me. No, that's but not that's what it not is. that's what it is. It's that that's how we get all their DNA. Exactly. Oof. That's a tough one. I know, right? Um, I'd also like to give one quick shout out. I started thinking about all this because of this great podcast called Bear Brook, where they talk about genetic genealogy a lot, and they used it to find answers to some really horrific crimes. So if this is interesting to you, definitely give that a listen. It's put on by New Hampshire Public Radio. Um, and it was totally fascinating, but then I was thinking about it and I was like, oh no, what if bad? Um, what if bad? That's what this podcast has made me do is I listen to things and I'm just like, but what if bad? What if bad? What if bad? I agree. Oh, this is a toughie. Isn't this a toughie? Cause again, like if there's some kind of like horrible missing persons case out there 
and my DNA can help solve it, like, yes, absolutely. And in my and in my brain I'm like, I'm not a serial murderer. Like, take my DNA. Who gives a fuck? But then I'm like, if I give my DNA, I'm giving my cousin's DNA, I'm giving my parents' DNA, I'm giving my kids' DNA and their kids' DNA. Like, it has really wide reaching consequences. Yeah. Uh, God, I can't think about this. You have to. I need Why have you asked me to think about this? I need you to. Maybe we should put a poll on Twitter, like, should Sam spit in a tube? I agree. And then we could watch what happens. Well, now what we happens. gotta do it for science. Now we have to do it for science. And again, like, I'd love to solve my family mysteries. I'd love to find out if my grandfather was half French. Probably he wasn't. Probably he was 100% Scottish. But we don't know. We'll never know. I can't know. I could know. That's the thing. But we'll never know for sure. I guess. <laughs> we can know almost for sure. But but can we? <laughs> can we? Yes, is what you're saying. I think yes. I think we I can. don't think, again, like, they won't be able to tell me, like, he's from Smithtown, but, like, it could tell me he's, he's from Scottish. Scotland, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But, yeah, I will say to people doing these services, like, do keep that in mind, that it's good for, like, big geographic regions, but they're not really going to be able to tell you towns and, like, region, like, tiny regions, unless you have old-fashioned genealogy to back it up unless you have like census records and which you can find on ancestry.com absolutely but like the two need to work together to tell you right if your family's really from county cork but yeah i guess i guess what i'm hearing is that no matter what choice we make we should move forward armed with this knowledge that we now have yeah so so thank you so much for this thank you for listening yeah i i've been thinking about this a lot lately Again, since I listened to this Bear Brook podcast, which you must listen to, Allie. But I will do that. It's only, like, maybe ten parts. And then it's got, like, two follow-ups. And then, like, the last follow-up, like, all the mysteries get solved. And you're like, fuck me up. It's right up my alley. It's really good. It's right up your... Allie. Allie. Oh, my God. Yeah, you guys, just tell me what you think I should do. I just, part of me just wants to spit in that fucking tube, but I just oh, I mean, if I know it's a bad you, idea. If I know you, you want to spit in that goddamn tube. I mean, I've wanted to spit in the tube for years, and I've stopped myself because of this, basically. Because I was like, what are you doing with my DNA? It's the same as, like, people who are nervous because the iPhones now only let you do face, like, face unlock. And they're like, what are you doing with my face? Why do you need my face? Why do you need my face? Get away from my face. I'm like, I've been watching Doctor Who again recently, and I'm, like, thinking about all that technology. Yeah, I'm doing a big rewatch um, with my boyfriend who has never watched it before. So that's been fun. Some of it's good. Yeah. A lot of it's silly, but I love silly. New stuff is garbage. I kind of stopped watching, like, three-fourths of the way through the 11th Doctor, Matt Smith. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Because I was still watching when I went to college, but then I kind of, like, petered out freshman or sophomore year. Well, because you and Becky were both, like... Is anyone else into Doctor Who? And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) It's those people. But I ended up loving you. Yay! I also had a Tumblr. Didn't we all? I still have a Tumblr. (laughs) I go on there occasionally. You do? I I forgot my password. Oh, sad. I really wish I could get back back on there. Yeah. I literally, like, I never reblog anything. I just scroll. (laughs) I would love to find the time capsule that is my current Tumblr. Did I follow you? Maybe I can look through my Tumblr for my follows. Yeah, no, please. What was your, I'm going to do it right now. What was your Tumblr name? <laughs> what was my Tumblr name? I don't remember. Allie something. Oh my God. It would probably come, how many people are you following? Not that many. I don't know. 
Okay, so we just took a break to look up what my Tumblr name was. We found it. And it was Nocturne Alley. That's a great one. Which I, yeah, I was impressed by my creativity. Yeah. And so we've been, we've paused recording for like an hour while we just looked through our old Tumblrs. Listen, I, again, still use my Tumblr. And yeah, you had some recent things. Mine is a little bit more of a blast from the past. Yeah, absolutely. It was like our whole freshman year. Yeah, I I was brought back to the days in freshman year where we would just sit next to each other on our couch, and every time one of us would laugh, the other one would look over onto their screen. And also laugh. And also laugh. Beautiful memories. Really a beautiful, beautiful time. Some really solid 2013 memories. Really. Um, so what say you, we jump into foreign accent syndrome? I cannot wait. I cannot. Please tell me. uh, Yeah, I will. Please. So I was doing, as I said, quite a bit of traveling recently hearing lots of different languages, so I thought this would be a fun one to do. And I don't think I've mentioned this before, but in college and a little beyond, I used to work as a dialect coach for theatrical productions. You sure did. Um, And Sam knows that, but I don't think that the people know that. It was a big focus of mine in school, something I really loved. Um, Did you take dialects in high school? No, I never did. Yeah, I think it, I was just, I was never good at learning foreign languages, but I loved dialects for the stage since there was far less skill involved, so I was very interested in this topic. Also because bad movie accents are a great casual enthusiasm of mine. Yes. But so, Sam, what do you think foreign accent syndrome is? What do you think it is? I think it's that thing where people wake up one day and all of a sudden they're talking with a different accent for for no discernible reason, or maybe they got hit on the head or something. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Nice. The hit on the head thing is part of it. Okay. So, foreign accent syndrome is defined by the doctors over at the University of Texas, Dallas, as a speech disorder that causes a sudden change to speech so that a native speaker is perceived to speak with a foreign accent. FAS is most often caused by damage to the brain caused by a stroke or traumatic injury. Other causes... <clears throat> Other causes... Causes... Other causes have also been reported, including multiple sclerosis and and conversion disorder, and in some cases, no clear cause has been identified. Yeah. Usually, it's after a stroke. Okay. That's that's what most of the research has brought up. Interesting. The condition was identified in 1907 by the French neurologist Pierre-Marie, and it was then studied again in Germany in 1919 under more professional circumstances. And then in Norway in 1941, I love this. Well, it's sad. Um, a Norwegian woman started speaking with a German accent after uh, accident, but it was 1941. Oh, so yikes. The whole, the whole community, like, shunned her. But I just, that seems crazy to me. <laughs> uh, regardless, it's extremely rare, and there have been less than 100 cases since 1941. Wow. So that's extremely rare. So that's basically what it is. You know, you experience a major shift to the brain, and then all of a sudden you have a foreign accent. You know, one that you could not have acquired from the accent's place of origin. But is it so simple? Probably not. It never is. No. Um, This is going to bring us on a journey of the mind. Okay? Is that going to be fun? I'm in. So I'm going to play you a clip from the internet. You know, the old interwebs. I'm going to play this for you. Let's see Classic. if the mic can pick it up. Oh, you're from here. How do you talk like that? 
so that's when the whole story comes up. Interesting. So tell me, what do you think that accent was? Some British dialect-ish? Yeah. So that's basically what they were saying, that she's speaking with an English accent now. So this is where it gets tricky. A, she could be a lying liar. Yeah, she could just be That's one thing. good at accents. I don't like to call people liars for no reason, but she's on the news. Who knows? She's she getting could be, attention. She could be making it up. We'll just say that. Let's say that's not the case. Mm-hmm. If that's not the case, it sounds pretty clearly like a British accent, albeit not the most convincing one. But we can definitely identify a pattern that we're familiar with, not least because we live with a Brit. True. Um, but there might be other factors at play here. Sam, do you know what periodolia is? I sure don't. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I also don't know what it is. I only looked it up. So I guess I do know what it is. Now you know. And I'm about to find out. And then you'll know. By the, the time you hear this, Sam's going to know what it is. Oh my god, you guys, I'm so smart. What is it? So periodolia, I think that's how you pronounce it is the tendency for our brains to interpret something unfamiliar as something familiar. So seeing shapes in clouds is an example of this. Or Jesus' face in a grilled cheese. Mm-hmm. That's not what's happening. Yeah. But it so clearly and vividly looks to us yeah. to be a pattern that we recognize. Our brain wants to find things that are logical to it. So, as the professor of motor speech disorders at Newcastle University, Nick Miller, puts it, the notion that sufferers speak in a foreign language, this is in the case of uh, FAS, the notion that sufferers speak in a foreign language is something that is in the ear of the listener rather than in the mouth of the speaker. It is simply that the rhythm and pronunciation of speech has changed. Yeah. So, what he's saying is enough things have changed about their speech that we hear what we want to hear basically Mm -hmm. so um why would this be happening often sufferers from fas actually have damage to certain parts of the brain that handle linguistic functioning as well as damage as well as damage to the cerebellum which controls motor functions Mm -hmm. so this is really tricky to me because it's like, that sounds like an accent. Like, that yeah. sounds like an accent that somebody worked to acquire mm-hmm. or that somebody's like, trying to do badly for a community college play. But studiers of this have said the people who have foreign accent syndrome oftentimes are struggling with similar symptoms that somebody with a speech disorder is having. Like, yeah. they're feeling the impediments of a speech disorder And that's how it's coming across. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's just coming out of their mouth in a way that we recognize as a foreign accent. But they're not necessarily putting thought into it that way. Exactly. So it is possible that we're just hearing a combination of speech disorder symptoms that mimic an accent that our brain wants us to hear. Which, like, that is crazy that our brains can trick us in that way. And it reminds me of when we discussed mass hysteria. Like, I don't like the idea that the little mushy donut in my head can tell me what to do. Yeah. I don't like that. And the idea that that's not a person trying to do a British accent is insane to me. Because it sounds like a British accent. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is one. But is it? But is it? Or is it just a collection of symptoms that I recognize and my brain desperately wants to put a pattern to it? Yeah. It's wild. Or, like, as I said, all these people are making this up. There's only, like, 100 cases in the last 
hundred years. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're all just liars and we've wasted the and we've wasted twenty minutes of your time. Who knows? No. I mean Time with friends is never a waste. Or always a waste, meaning it's never a waste. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't have, there's not a ton of research about this phenomenon, which is crazy to me, <laughs> but I thought we would end with some of my favorite celebrities who have changed their accents for no particular reason. Ooh, I love that. So what are some ones that you know of? Um, I know, well, you were watching clips of Lindsay Lohan earlier. Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. I know Madonna off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, so Madonna who is from Michigan, (laughs) started adopting a pseudo-British accent Mm -hmm. after she moved to London with Guy Ritchie, her then or current husband. I forget if they're still married or not. And Gwyneth Paltrow did the same thing when she was married to Chris Martin. Like, she had a pseudo-British-y accent, which I just find so annoying. Mm -hmm. Like, when it grinds my gears, but I think it grinds everybody's gears, because when somebody does it, everyone's, like, on the news, like, Ugh. (gasps) ugh, gross. Um, George Michael awoke from a three-week coma with a different English accent, so he woke up and had, like, a Western English accent. Interesting. This does actually sound like a possible case of FAS, uh-huh. if it exists. Uh, this is a gross one. Quentin Tarantino, who I will not share my thoughts on, will often adopt, like, a stereotypically black accent when talking to black people or interviewers. I saw clips of yeah. this online. It is so troubling. It's so icky. Um, but my personal favorite is Lindsay Lohan. (laughs) So she has long echoed people's accents in interviews. Like, if her interviewer is, you know, has a certain regional accent, like, she'll pick up on that, which, that's a little... (laughs) Already. But, so, like, there's been a couple of videos of her speaking in, like, a full English accent or a full, um like, Russian accent, and there was this viral video that went around of her approaching a family of refugees. I think she was in Moscow, and she was trying to speak to them in Arabic, but she was just saying words in an Arabic accent, in, like, a thick Arabic accent. Interesting. Which was so offensive and so odd. Yeah, that's not gonna work. It was so weird, and she was, like, trying to get the kids of this family to come with her, Oh, I, I vaguely clearly, remember this because it was like Lindsay Lohan tries to kidnap some children. Yeah, it was. It it seemed clear that she was maybe like using or something was mm-hmm. very very wrong. Um, but it was such it was so upsetting to watch, and it was just so we made so much weirder by the fact that she was doing this accent. Yeah, and one thing she said to an interviewer once was, "Oh, I'm just learning so many different languages right now. Like I forget what my accent is basically." <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think that that's how that works. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about it is that our secret co-host Becky would like everyone to know that this rare disorder was featured on one of her favorite television shows, Heart of Dixie. Is anyone a fan? She does. She, Becky loves Heart of Dixie. Every year she does a rewatch of it. So I feel like I've seen all of Heart of Dixie at this point, just sitting Yeah, I've seen a lot of it. Rewatches. But yeah, when you said earlier today that we were going to talk about this, Becky immediately launched into, uh, I would say, a three episode arc of Heart of Dixie where this happens. Yep. So if you're a Heart of Dixie fan, um, we see you and we acknowledge you. Shout out. And I'm sure that nobody else does. Yeah, Team Wade. Um, but that's all I have to say about foreign accent syndrome. So interesting. It's wild. So interesting. Yeah, it's hard. I think, like, sometimes I have a little bit of sympathy for people like Gwyneth because, like, she's raising a kid who's speaking with a British accent. So sometimes I wonder if part of that is, like, 
the kid voice she puts on. Yeah, I get that more. Has a degree of Britishness about, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, I find that more to be like, huh, you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. okay. Um, and also, like, I have more, I have more sympathy for people who are fully immersed in a different culture. Like, I know a lot of people who come to America and mm-hmm. have more Americanized accents. Yeah. I think sometimes I feel like white Americans in particular just want to be spicy. Yeah. Like, exactly like what you were talking about before is like white people just want to find out how white they are and it's like that is such a thing that I remember especially growing up in Boston where a lot of people have a distant immigrant background Mm -hmm. that is very specifically distant like you know like I'm not American I'm Italian American Mm -hmm. and I'm like girl like if you don't have actually Italian relatives you have like basically zero ties to that culture. Like, yeah. Yeah, maybe you have some, like, Italian-American things happening in your family, but, like, you don't need to act like you're foreign. And yes. I think a lot of... It's it's fine to be connected to your culture if it's alive in your family, but, like, I felt like so many people were so, like, grasping at straws trying to make themselves feel special because they didn't feel special enough being, yeah. like, a white American mutt. Exactly. Which is a very lucky thing to be. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a pretty privileged position. Yeah. So, like, you don't need to make yourself any more interesting. Yeah. Being like, I just remember in high school, people being like, like, I love to drink because I'm Irish. And it's like, you're not Irish. Yeah. You're from Concord, Massachusetts. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. Like, it's just is so annoying to me. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't, I just don't get it. Yeah. It just feels, it just feels like white people trying to grasp for culture and it's like, we don't really have culture. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> we have everything else. Yeah. We can be missing out on that. We thing. have all of the land and property. <laughs> um, so yeah. So that's maybe a through line of our. Yeah, there you go. Through line of this episode. Of this episode. Sam, do you want to do a listener story? Absolutely. I'd love to do one. Um, so this listener story is from. Ariel. So thank you so much for writing in, Ariel. Sam, do you want to read it? Sure. I'll read Ariel's story. All right. Ariel says, hi, Allie and Sam. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Ariel. (laughs) Um, So if you want a new thing to be horrified about every day, getting pregnant is a good way to go about it. Oh, imagine. (laughs) Here's the story of my most horrifying pregnancy realization. We were at our 20-week ultrasound, everything looking great, my husband and I getting all misty-eyed, when the text said, and there's the baby's bladder. It's full. And I said, "Ah, oh, how cute. Wait, when he pees, where does it... Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it turns out that amniotic fluid is just a nice word for all your baby's pee collected over nine months. Really? They pee in you? Every gorgeous, glowing, pregnant fertility goddess you've ever seen is carrying around a giant stack of old, stale baby pee inside oh, her. Oh, my God. Ariel. For some reason, out of all the horrifying things that pregnancy does to your body, this was at the top of the list for me. And really, don't get me started on the giant pamphlet they hand you to read and make you sign when you hit 28 weeks, saying you understand all the ways childbirth can go wrong. Actually, pregnancy would be a great episode topic. Love the show, ladies. Ariel. Ariel, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I I hope the baby's lit. Uh, Yeah, I hope the baby was worth it. People (laughs) say that they are, but I'm like... Are they? I never Seems thought about awful. that. Yeah, I guess it's peeing in you and it has to go somewhere. It's Damn. peeing in you. I guess, I guess I just assumed it wouldn't be peeing because it's not, like, alive yet. But it is. It's alive once it has, you know, stuff going on. Wow, that sounds pretty pro-life, Sam. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, even if you can pee, I can still abort you. I'll yeah. probably take that out. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that sounds so bad. Like, so many parts of pregnancy, I just compartmentalize. Because, like, I do want to have children, but also I don't. Like, I don't want to bear a child. Yeah. But I'd like to have children. And I realize there are other options, but, like, I would like to, if I'm up for it, try to go through the process of pregnancy. Yeah. For that life experience, if I can, if I can't, no big deal. But then, then sometimes I'm like, maybe I don't. Like, what if we don't? Yeah. God, that sounds just awful. I have a lot of nightmares about pregnancy. That's a fun fact about about me. being pregnant. Yeah. Well, just about everything go wrong. Also, my mom had two very traumatic births. Yeah, your mom had a really rough time. So, like, my birth stories that I know of are are very traumatic. And, yeah. And not fun. Um, I can't believe she ever got back up on that saddle again. I know. But thank yeah. God, because you were second. Yeah, but, like, a fun thing that she used to say is, like, you know, if it were the Old West times, you wouldn't have even been conceived, because I definitely would have died in childbirth with Pat. No, she would have, she, if she would have given birth to my brother, and Pat would have died, Uh because he was premature, she would have conceived me, and then both of us would have died during my childbirth, because I was a, I think I've said this before, I was a placental abruption. How fun. Which, that means that I think... I just, I, this is so graphic, but, like, I, um, broke apart from a placenta Uh and was drowning in my own blood. Yes. So, I would have, like, killed both of us. Uh Uh-huh. And then my dad would just be alone. (laughs) And then I assume Dennis becomes the sheriff of a town. Yeah. And he walks alone for the rest of his life. Trying to silently avenge us. Yeah. Uh, I guess so. Man, that's crazy. But, so, that's, like, you know, they both were terrible scary things so I'm just like whoa yeah I have a lot of nightmares about being pregnant and then I also have a lot of nightmares where my teeth fall out and if you look at like dream interpretation that means means you're anxious about pregnancy which I am so fair enough yeah I think you're more anxious about accidentally getting pregnant than most women I know yeah I'd rather not same not right now let's make a pact everyone that if you don't want to get pregnant right now don't Wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up. And with that. <laughs> that, honestly, yes. Let's end the podcast on let's wrap it up. Keep it wrapped up. And we'll wrap it up now. Yes. Um, By saying thank you so much. We're glad to be back. And this week we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified.